you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. We're going to start today's show with an update on last week's report on the federal budget crisis. At this point, a government shutdown seems inevitable. Various government agencies are beginning to release guidance on what to do when the clock strikes midnight on September 30th. This is making Republicans look bad, and some of their members are attacking each other over social media. Moderate Republicans, meanwhile, are working behind the scenes with Democrats to avert a shutdown if the GOP cannot get a temporary spending bill through in time. New York Representative Mike Lawler has made it clear how he feels about the hard-right faction holding up the process, calling it a clown show, and his voice support for what is called a discharge petition. This process can force a floor vote on a bill if it can get 218 signatures. If, indeed, the Democrats are willing to support such a measure, it would only take five Republicans to get it to the floor. There is no certainty, even if the will was there, that it could be done before the looming deadline at the end of this month. That House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries is meeting with the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus is encouraging. The PSC is currently working on a temporary spending plan that will fund the government at current levels with additional disaster aid, Ukraine funding, and border security provisions. The Democrats stand to win either way. If they work with the moderate Republicans and save the day, they undercut Speaker McCarthy's leadership. If they do nothing and just let it all burn down, the Republicans will take all the blame. Our next topic is the pending Republican presidential primary debate scheduled next week, Wednesday the 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It will be held at the Ronald Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California. The debate is organized by the Republican National Committee and will be moderated by Fox Business and Univision and will also be streaming on the video platform Rumble. The first debate was entertaining. Most significant was the absence of the frontrunner, former President Donald Trump. He decided to opt out and run a competing program for the evening, an interview conducted by recently fired Fox personality Tucker Carlson, kicking off five minutes before the start of the debate. As the debate began, we saw some familiar faces from Republican primaries past, like former Vice President Mike Pence and former Governor of New Jersey Chris Christie. A sitting Governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, and several other former Governors were also on the stage. They included Nikki Haley of South Carolina, Doug Burgum of North Dakota, and Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas, rounding out the former holders of executive offices. Senator Tim Scott, appointed by Nikki Haley during her tenure as governor, was there as well. The standout on stage was a newcomer, Vivek Ramaswamy, a former biotech billionaire who pivoted last year into asset management and this year into running for president. The debate was significant for me. It was significant because when it was over, I had a long, engaging conversation with friends that watched it with me. We certainly had different opinions on the issues, but we had a lot of the same observations of the debate, and nobody got nasty about it, which is hard to find in discussing something as contentious as politics. I really liked the vibe we had. I liked it so much it gave me the idea to try and create that on a greater scale. It inspired me to create the podcast you're listening to right now. Thank you for listening. I encourage you to find a recording of that first debate and see how everyone did. How did you feel about the candidates? How do you think they will do in the upcoming debate? Who will even make it to the stage this time? I asked that last question because the first debate was easier for candidates to qualify for, but the upcoming debate will have stricter requirements. Previously they needed 40,000 unique donors with 200 each from at least 20 states. The total amount is up to 50,000 now. 
but the second criteria remains the same. Last time, candidates needed 1% support in three national polls, or in two national polls, and two polls conducted in early primary states. This time around, they must reach 3% support in two national polls, or in one national poll, and two polls in one of the following states, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, or South Carolina. These states are important because they are the first states to vote on the Republican nominees, so ostensibly their opinions on a candidate carry more weight. All candidates must also sign a loyalty pledge whereby they agree to support the eventual Republican nominee for the general election. So who is on the list this time? Well, Donald Trump qualifies and is without question crushing the other candidates in polling, well over 40 points above his closest competitor, Governor Ron DeSantis. Trump plans to repeat his strategy of last, though, skipping the debate and holding a competing event in Detroit. He has also not signed the loyalty pledge yet, but that doesn't seem to be an issue for the RNC thus far. His absence from the last debate doesn't appear to have hurt him, so perhaps he has formulated a winning strategy by staying aloof and projecting confidence. Time will tell. As of this show, the two wings of the last debate, polling low, former governors Doug Burgum and Asa Hutchinson, are on the bubble. Burgum has checked the box on the donor threshold, but still has not met the polling requirement. He claims to have scored the necessary numbers in two primary states, but the national poll numbers continue to elude him. The Best of America Super PAC has added $2 million to the already $6 million committed to fund ads in hopes of achieving that goal. Hutchinson has hit none of these targets. If these two cannot achieve the required numbers by the September 25th deadline, they will not be on stage. I'm hoping Burgum makes it because I really want to know who Farrington Rocket LLC, the mysterious donor who gave Burgum-supported Super PAC $2 million is. Those are the people that likely will not be attending the second Republican primary debate, so we'll take a look at those who will be on stage next week. I'd like to start from the lowest-ranking candidates based on the most recent Emerson College poll, then work my way up. These are all interesting people, worthy of taking a look at regardless of the numbers. Here's who they are, how they got here, and what they say they stand for. Tim Scott is sitting at 2%. He is the current junior senator from South Carolina to the United States Senate. As a young man, Mr. Scott graduated from Charleston Southern University with a bachelor's degree in political science. He worked as a financial advisor and insurance agent, eventually starting his own agency and using his success to buy his mother a house. In 1995, he became a Charleston County Councilman and will eventually become chairman in 2007. During this time on the council, he supported the posting of the Ten Commandments outside the council chambers, and this was done. The council was then sued by the American Civil Liberties Union and the Americans United for Separation of Church and State. The council settled out of court. In 2009, Mr. Scott moved up to the South Carolina House of Representatives for District 117. Scott joined the Women's Caucus because he was, quote, the product of a powerful single mother. He was a noted supporter of right-to-work laws and resisting higher taxes during his time there before eventually taking the next step, running for and winning a seat in the United States House of Representatives, where he did not join the Congressional Black Caucus, stating that, quote, my, opinion, my campaign was never about race. In 2012, Scott was appointed by then-Governor Nikki Haley, his opponent Wednesday, to assume the seat of resigning Senator Jim DeMint. Scott ran in and won a special election in 2014 to retain the seat, and on the campaign trail he did an undercover listening tour around South Carolina. 
He posed as just a guy, working several entry-level jobs or riding on the bus, and struck up conversations with his constituents to get a real understanding of what they thought. He was re-elected to a full term in 2016. In 2017, he co-sponsored a bill that would prevent foreign purchases of U.S. companies based on national security grounds in response to Chinese interests trying to do just that. Scott believes the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, should be repealed. In a 2023 interview, he said he would sign a 20-week federal abortion ban, but has to this point dodged questions about if he would support a six-week ban. He opposes same-sex marriage. He supports penalties for employers who knowingly hire illegal immigrants and opposes a pathway to citizenship for them. Scott supports parents' rights and would see funding cut to schools if they didn't inform parents that the children change pronouns and gender markers. In the last debate, Scott said, If God made you a man, you play sports against men. His campaign website describes his policy positions as cutting taxes, both individual and business, returning research and manufacturing to America, build the border wall, end sanctuary cities, expel illegal immigrants, end catch and release and treat cartels like terrorist organizations, push Chinese national interests out of America, support for law enforcement and increase penalties for violent crimes, enhance school security and mental health resources. He's pro-Second Amendment with an A rating from the National Rifle Association. He's pro-life with a 100% score from the National Right to Life and an A rating from the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. He's pro-parents' rights and transparency in school curriculums, school choice, and cutting funding to schools that don't comply. Nikki Haley is currently polling at 3%. She is the former ambassador to the United Nations during the Trump administration and former governor of South Carolina. Mrs. Haley graduated from Clemson University with a bachelor's degree in accounting, going on to work as an accounting supervisor for a recycling company and then at her mother's company. Inspired by a Hillary Clinton speech she attended, Haley ran for the South Carolina House of Representatives in 2004, beating an incumbent who ran a very racist campaign against her. In her first year in the legislature, she was voted the chair of the freshman class, and in her second year was named Minority Whip, I'm sorry, Majority Whip. In her third year, the speaker put her on the Labor, Commerce, and Industry Committee. When she advocated for eliminating voice voting, which let lawmakers hide their votes on controversial bills, the speaker punished her by taking her, co her committee posting away. In 2010, Ms. Haley ran for governor of South Carolina. She languished in fourth place for most of the race and endured more racist abuse from opponents with one state senator, Jake Knotts, calling her an effing raghead. I censored that. He did not. The election was close, and in a subsequent runoff, she won. During Mitt Romney's 2012 failed bid for the White House, he considered Nikki Haley for the vice presidential spot on the ticket, but Haley said she would turn down such an offer. Upon the resignation of Senator Jim DeMint that same year, Haley appointed Tim Scott, then a House member and now another candidate on Wednesday's night stage, to the vacant seat. During her time as governor, Haley oversaw the removal of the Confederate flag from the State House refused to support transgender bathroom legislation, calling it unnecessary, and was proud of the state being one of the lowest union participation states in the country when courting businesses to come to South Carolina. Haley was asked by then-President Trump to become the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations. She accepted the offer and was confirmed on January 24, 2017. She resigned her governorship and began serving in this new post. During her time there, she defended the U.S. pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal, agreed to by the Obama administration. 
The U.S. also withdrew from the Human Rights Council, citing anti-Israel bias. Her time ended on October 9, 2018, when she tendered her resignation. It has been asserted that her acceptance of seven private plane rides from South Carolina businesses and the exposure of this by a political watchdog group led to her resignation, something she denies. In February 2019, Ms. Haley was nominated to the Board of Directors of Boeing. Coincidentally, while in the state legislature, she had supported a $900 million economic development package to bring production of the Boeing 787 Dreamliner to South Carolina and had fought unionization at the plant in North Charleston in 2015 as governor. Draw your own conclusions. Her policy positions are, she's strong on China, Iran, and North Korea. She's against illegal immigration, believing laws should be enforced, immigrants should carry documentation at all times, and businesses should be able to prove workers illegal. She supports voter ID laws. She's anti-union or pro-right-to-work, depending on your perspective. She's pro-Second Amendment. She's pro-Israel, pro-Taiwan, and pro-Ukraine. She's pro-life, but supports restriction on abortion, not an outright ban. She supports parental rights regarding the teaching of sexuality in elementary school. She opposes gay marriage, but has spoken out against the violence against gay men in Chechnya in 2017. Chris Christie is tied for fourth at 5% in the polls. He is the former governor of New Jersey. He graduated from the University of Delaware with a bachelor's degree in political science, then obtained his Juris Doctorate from Seton Hall. He joined the New Jersey law firm of Doogie, Hewitt, and Pelletucci in 1987 and was named partner in 1993. He specialized in securities and election law, as well as government affairs. Christie's first elected position was the Board of County Commissioners for Morris County, New Jersey. The losers in that election filed a defamation lawsuit against Christie for false accusations they were under investigation. The lawsuit was settled out of court. Christie cleaned up county contracting, maintaining competing bids, and barring officials from accepting gifts from companies doing business with the county. He fired an architect that had been hired to design a new jail, saying he was costing the taxpayers too much. The architect sued him for defamation, but eventually dropped the lawsuit without explanation. In 1995, Christie made a try to secure a seat on the New Jersey General Assembly, but he lost by a wide margin and found the door was closed behind him to return to the board. He was defeated in the primary and accused of having the board pay his legal fees in the architect lawsuit. Christie sued, the board settled out of court, and apologized. Christie returned his full attention to the law firm after that. The firm opened an office in the State House, and from 1999 to 2001, Christie was a registered State House lobbyist for the firm and, during the 2000 presidential election, served as George W. Bush's campaign lawyer for New Jersey and helped raise $350,000 for the campaign. Bush repaid him by appointing him U.S. Attorney for the District of New Jersey, a post he held from 2002 to 2008. During that time, he targeted corruption and convicted or obtained guilty pleas from over 100 public officials, Democrat and Republican, and at state, county, and local levels. Christie's use of deferred prosecution agreements, where companies avoid prosecution if they take steps to correct themselves, like change personnel, brought suspicion. In one case, Christie recommended his former boss's consulting firm, the Ashcroft Group, to monitor a contract for $52 million. In another case against Bristol Myers, they agreed to dedicate $5 million for a business ethics chair at Seton Hall, Christie's alma mater. Cases like this led to new Justice Department rules and a congressional hearing. While campaigning for governor in New Jersey, 
Christie promised not to raise taxes, and after taking office in 2010, there were no rate increases in income, corporate, or sales tax, and property tax growth was limited to 2% annually. He vetoed attempts to pass a millionaire's tax in the state five times as governor. In this time, New Jersey's credit rating was downgraded nine times, leaving only Illinois lower. Christie supported wind and solar initiatives in the state, and he also settled a lawsuit against ExxonMobil for $225 million for environmental contamination at two sites. But the original suit sought $8.9 billion. ExxonMobil donated $500 million to the Republican Governors Association while Christie was chairman, but they insist it's unrelated. Christie viewed illegal immigration as not a crime, but a, quote, civil wrong, and that only when re-entering the country after being deported would they become criminals and sees authority in the U.S. Immigration and Customs Service, not the Justice Department. He didn't agree with the idea of local law enforcement taking on immigration enforcement, and signed legislation in 2013 allowing undocumented kids who went to high school for at least three years in New Jersey to qualify for in-state college tuition rates. At this time, Christie opposed gay marriage, but showed support for civil unions, and believes gay people are born that way and signed a bill in 2013 outlawing uh, gay conversion therapy for children. After announcing his 2024 run for the presidency, his campaign stated that, quote, he respects same-sex marriage and considers it legally settled. He opposes efforts to enact bans on gender-affirming care and that, quote, it's more of a parent's decision than a governor's decision, for goodness sake. He is pro-life and joined other 2016 Republican presidential candidates endorsing banning abortion after 20 weeks, but in 2023 stated that abortion should be a state issue and he would not support a federal ban. Christie spent his eight years in office resisting open public record acts request and tried to keep them sealed as he was leaving, but $33 million in state tax breaks to Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, was still revealed. His campaign website does not at this time have a clear platform page detailing his current policy positions. Mike Pence is also at 5% in the polls. He attended Hanover College, earning a bachelor's degree in history, and became a born-again evangelical Catholic while there. He then earned his law degree from Indiana University and began private practice. He ran for the U.S. House of Representatives twice, failing both times. After that, he began hosting an Indiana radio talk show, and this helped him improve his speaking and develop his conservative brand. When he ran for the House the third time, in 2000, he made it, representing Indiana's 2nd District, now known as the 6th, and served six terms. He was a member of the Tea Party Caucus. In 2006, Pence made a play for the minority leader position, but lost to John Boehner. But he was later elected as the Republican Conference Chairman, third in rank after the minority leader and whip. During his tenure, he introduced 90 bills, but none of them became law. He opposed same-sex marriage, the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, abortion, and pushed to defund Planned Parenthood. Mike Pence ran for governor of Indiana in 2012 and took office the following year. He signed pieces of legislation like the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that was said to protect people's ability to exercise their religious beliefs but confronted with pushback, had to revise it to include language that addressed potential discrimination based on sex, race, religion, or disability. He also signed a law banning abortion of a fetus based on race, gender, or disability that the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled unconstitutional. Pence made tax reform a priority, getting income tax cut by 5%, corporate tax down to 4.9%, and inheritance tax was eliminated. 
He pushed for a balanced budget amendment, and it passed. It is now ensconced in the Indiana State Constitution. He also supported increased education funding, school vouchers, and charter schools. He initially resisted federal funding for some initiatives, but eventually had to apply for the federal funding. He called for the repeal of Common Core Standards, making Indiana the first state to do so, and advocating the teaching of creationism on par with science. He clashed with teachers' unions and fought with Democratic Superintendent of Public Instruction, Glenda Ritz, eventually taking away her authority over standardized testing and putting his own appointees in place. Pence is a vocal supporter of the coal industry and clashed with the Obama administration over clean energy initiatives and refused to comply. He supported pro-gun laws like allowing firearms to be kept in vehicles on school grounds and limiting lawsuits against gun and ammunition makers and sellers. Pence accepted Donald Trump's offer of the vice presidential slot on the 2016 Republican ticket and ended his re-election campaign in Indiana. As vice president, Pence, in his capacity as the president of the Senate, would cast 13 tie-breaking votes. When Trump and Pence lost their bid for re-election, Trump pressured Pence to overturn the results, arguing that the vice president had that power, but Pence disagreed. On January 6th, when rioters stormed the Capitol, it was reported that Vice President Pence was within 100 feet of the mob who were chanting that they wanted to hang him. They missed his passing by a minute. He refused to leave the Capitol and approved the deployment of the National Guard, which is not in his authority, but the Capitol was cleared and the election results were certified. Mike Pence attended the inauguration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Trump did not. Pence has gone on to be a more vocal critic of the former president, saying this past June, Anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be President of the United States, and anyone who asks someone else to put them over the Constitution should never be President again. Mike Pence's campaign website lists extensive policy plans. I'm merely skimming over them here. Return manufacturing to America with reduced regulations, pro-growth tax policy, and increased domestic energy production. Protecting American supply chains, data, and strategic assets like farmland from China allowing rare earth mining and drilling on federal land, replenishment of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and increased natural gas production and refinery capacity. A military buildup budgeted at 3.5% of GDP and an end to transgender support in the military. Eliminate the EPA, Department of Education, defund the IRS expansion, and return a lot of resources and control to individual states. Protecting the border, finishing the wall, and deporting illegal immigrants supporting Israel, Taiwan, and Ukraine, a federal 15-week abortion ban, and a ban on child gender reassignment surgery, and repealing student loan forgiveness. It's a massive list of what he says he wants to do. I have not done it justice. If you really want to dive deep, it's all on his campaign website. Vivek Ramaswamy is a total newcomer to politics and is sitting at 7% going into the debate. He earned his biology degree from Harvard University, where he became president of the Harvard Political Union. He then attended Yale Law School on a grant from the Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship for New Americans, despite being worth $15 million before graduating with his Juris Doctorate in 2013. Ramaswamy worked for QVT Hedge Fund from 2007 to 2014, co-managing the biotech portfolio, which included Retrofin, Martin Scarelli's company. Scarelli was the guy who bought the license for the drug Daraprim, then jacked the price up from $13.50 to $750 per pill. 
He was later convicted of securities fraud based on his financing of his various companies, not on monopolizing an important drug. That's not criminal, but it is detestable. We still haven't heard the only existing copy of the Wu-Tang Clan record Scarelli bought either, which is criminal. Ramaswamy called Scarelli brilliant and a pathological liar, but called his fraudulent business dealings, quote, a victimless crime. Ramaswamy founded his biotech company, Royvent Sciences, in 2014, incorporating it in Bermuda, a tax haven. His company bought patents for undeveloped drugs from other pharmaceutical companies and sought to bring them to market. He created several subsidiary companies and one, Exovent, purchased the patent for a drug called, oh boy, Intipyridine from GlaxoSmithKline for $5 million in 2014. Before starting a new clinical trial, this drug had already failed four trials with his previous owner, Ramaswamy initiated an initial public offering of stock and raised $315 million, and the company's market value approached $3 billion, even though the company only had eight employees, two of them being his brother and mother. Ramaswamy sold his shares, pocketing a huge profit, and then in 2017, the drug failed its clinical trial and shares tanked 75% in one day. Many institutional investors, including the California State Teachers Pension Fund, uh, took losses while Ramaswamy was insulated behind Royvent. Axovant folded in 2023. Fresh off this escapade, he brokered a deal with SoftBank to invest over $1 billion in Royvent, and in 2019 sold stake in five of the subsidiary companies to Sumitomo Dainippon Pharma, giving that company a 10% stake in Royvent. Ramaswamy has unwound himself from the running of the company, but still retains just over 7% of the stock. Royvent is not and has never been profitable. Vivek Ramaswamy has been a strident opponent of diversity programs, but in 2020, Royvent created a nonprofit called Royvent Social Ventures that promoted health equality and diversity in the industry, something he is not vocal about on the campaign trail. In 2022, Vivek pivoted to asset management, co-founding Strive Asset Management. This is an activist fund that he claims counters, quote, woke funds that index ESG, or environmental, social, and corporate governments. ESG is a measurement of companies' actions on behalf of those issues. Ramaswamy has positioned his fund as the answer to that, and he tried last year to convince South Carolina lawmakers to let him manage their pension funds. Before throwing his hat in the ring to run for president, he paid an editor to alter his Wikipedia page. He has admitted this, but denies it was an attempt to scrub the page. Vivek has condemned the January 6th attack on the Capitol, but promises to pardon Donald Trump if elected. Some platform policies listed on his webpage are as follows. Abolish the FBI, the Department of Education, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the ATF, and the USDA's Food and Nutrition Service, and eliminate federal employee unions. He is pro-oil coal, fracking, and nuclear. He wants to achieve semiconductor independence. He wants to keep Chinese interests from buying American land. He wants to use the military to secure the border and, quote, annihilate, yes, he said that, Mexican drug cartels. He wants to rescind the ESG rule for retirement funds. He wants to limit Federal Reserve power. He opposes digital currency. He wants to eliminate affirmative action. And he wants to ban social media and gender-affirming care for minors. Ron DeSantis is the only challenger in double digits at 12%. He attended Yale University, earning a bachelor's degree in history, and after a year of teaching, went to Harvard Law School, earning his Juris Doctorate before joining the Navy and serving as a Judge Advocate General, a lawyer. 
He mentioned the seals in the first debate, which caused some listeners to think he was claiming to have been a seal. And some folks got mad that he would say he was a seal. But in fairness, he didn't say that. What he said was, I deployed to Iraq alongside U.S. Navy SEALs. This is true. He spent some time at the detention center in Guantanamo before deploying to Iraq and serving as the legal advisor to SEAL Team 1. He was certainly name-dropping, but he didn't fabricate anything. He then served as a special assistant U.S. attorney for Florida's Middle District before his honorable discharge in 2010. DeSantis then worked as a litigator for the law firm Holland and Knight before running for Congress. He was elected to Congress in 2012, representing Florida's 6th District, and re-elected twice. During that time, he was one of the founding members of the House Freedom Caucus. Yes, the same group currently locked in a power struggle with the Speaker of the House over the federal budget that may lead to a government shutdown at the end of this month. As a legislator, he was against climate-based tax hikes, the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, and strong on illegal immigration, supporting border wall construction, worker verification systems, and punishing sanctuary cities. While Congressman DeSantis got an A-plus from the National Rifle Association, he got a zero rating from the Human Rights Campaign on LGBT-specific legislation. DeSantis voted to reduce taxes and was a fair tax supporter. This would dismantle the IRS and replace all taxes with a single consumption tax on retail goods. He supported term limits and did retire after his third term to run for governor of Florida. He ran for and won the governorship of Florida in 2019 in a tight race, but in 2022 was re-elected by a significant margin over his Democratic rival. During his time as governor, Florida has maintained a low corporate tax rate and currently has a record state budget surplus. His recent battles have made the news with him trying to ban critical race theory in schools and universities outright and sexual identity discussions before the fourth grade. This has led to war with the Disney Corporation after they called for the bill involved to be repealed. DeSantis and Republican lawmakers have thrown a number of punishments at Disney since, most significantly seeking to dissolve the Reedy Creek Improvement Act, a 1967 law that allows the Disney Corporation to operate the area around the park as a de facto autonomous district. Other actions he has taken as governor include signing into law statutes against mob violence and vandalism of historic memorials, doxing people by posting their personal information with intent to do harm, and an anti-sanctuary city bill. In line with his illegal immigration concerns, government employers must now run employees through E-Verify. He is also one of the southern border governors to send illegals north to other states, sending planes to Texas, picking up people, flying them to Martha's Vineyard, and leaving them there. Looking at his campaign website, his platform page is massive. Without necessarily sanctioning his opinions on the issues, the level of detail, organization, and presentation is impressive. It could be a show in it itself. So I tried to cut down to the main ideas. He's strong on on China, wants to ban the sale of strategic assets like farms to Chinese interests, ban imports of products made with stolen technology and secure supply chains. He's strong on border security, immigration reform, with punishments for those that undermine the same. He believes national security comes before climate change programs. He's for tax reform and simplification of the tax code. He's pro-school choice and parental rights and school loan reform, including opening them to relief under bankruptcy laws. He wants to reinstate service members kicked out for refusing COVID vaccinations and give them back pay owed. He wants to end environmental, social, and governance scoring and finance and scrutinize industries that do. He opposes digital currency. He's anti-critical race theory and gender discussion for young children. 
these anti-racial and gender-based quotas and programs. Those are your competitors for the second Republican presidential primary debate. I encourage you to take a look at their campaign websites before the debate and do some digging for yourselves so you can see if they stay on message. Be sure to wash your hands afterwards, though. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day. Music